What I think is interesting is uh, in Scripture, uh, it says there's no longer any Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And uh, every, every single weekend, there are people all over the globe uh, doing the same thing, but there's not many other situations where you have so many different people represented, different tribes, different groups, different languages. It's just an amazing thing that when we lift our voices up to God on a Sunday, uh, we're joining a chorus uh, that is more diverse than we would ever imagine. To me, that's always just an amazing, an amazing thing. I want to share with you uh, from the Gospel of Luke chapter 3. The words are going to be on the screen. Uh, you don't need to stand today. But uh, let me read these for you as we begin this message. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. It says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So John the Baptist had been uh, proclaiming the arrival of Jesus. He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ, preparing everybody to receive the message that Jesus was going to bring. Not long after that passage that we just read, uh, we actually hear some words from Jesus. You'll see those on the screen as well. Mark 1, 14 through 15, Jesus says this, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So I didn't decide. We're starting a new series today on earth as it is in heaven uh, or in the region. <laughs> but uh, I didn't really decide on this about two and a half, three weeks ago. And there's a reason. I, um, I'm the new guy on the block. So I didn't want to act presumptuously, and I wanted to make sure that I kind of had a feel for where we're at and where the church is at, where I'm at, where we are together. And um, I wanted to allow God to kind of reveal to my heart. But the more I prayed about it, the more he kind of kept bringing me back to this issue and this, this topic of the kingdom of God. And um, I want to tell you, though, I was still just a little bit hesitant for selfish reasons. Uh, when you start to talk about the kingdom of God, particularly as Jesus talked about it, and we're going to be looking at through this series, um, if you're willing to be honest about it, if you're willing to be transparent about it when you talk about the kingdom of God, um, it gets convicting. And I'm the new guy, and I'd really like for you to like me. Uh, that being said... Uh, the last couple weeks in the conversations that I've had and in the interactions that I've had with a bunch of you, uh, I think we can handle this. I think we can, and I think we need to handle this. Uh, as a pastor, this is a very introductory message today, by the way, but as a pastor, there's a number of things that I'm responsible for, but one of the things that I am responsible for that nobody really talks about too terribly much there's obvious things, preaching, you know, some administration, calling, all kinds of different things like that. But one of the things that I'm responsible for as a pastor is, is nurturing and being a good steward of the culture that God wants to see be revealed in the life, in the activity, in the ministry of this church. 
So one of the things that I have to do is I have to gauge, do we have a culture at Real Life Community Church that is reflective of the kingdom of God, a culture that needs to be nurtured, needs to be grown? And uh, so in this series, I'm going to kind of put myself out there. And uh, we're going to seek to establish kind of an understanding of a specific culture in the life and the manifestation of what it means to be real-life community church, to be a partner in the church, to be a member in the church. If you're a volunteer in the church, if you're a leader in the church, if you're a worshiper in the church, if you're a staff member in the church, or more importantly, uh, what does it look like as you live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the region that we live in, in the world that we live in? And it starts with this. It starts with an understanding that if you profess today to follow Jesus, if that, if that is your profession, I am a Jesus follower, that means that you are citizens of a different kingdom. You're citizens of a different kingdom. John the Baptist, he shouted those words in the Gospel of Luke, proclaiming that Jesus was coming. That actually first appeared in the book of Isaiah, but it is a picture of a new kingdom. It's a new reality. It, in fact, uh, he talks very specifically about four of them. You'll see them on the screen. He talks about full valleys. He talks about flat mountains. He talks about straight curves, and he talks about level bumps. It doesn't say level bumps. I just like to say level bumps, uh, but that's, that's what it is, those four things. Now, I want you to look at those words on the screen. Full valleys, flat mountains, straight curves, level bumps. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Every single one of those statements is a contradiction. There's no such thing as a level bump. There's no such thing as a flat mountain, straight curve. Those things don't make any sense. It's because what we're talking about is completely different. It's completely different. It's upside down. It's a, the kingdom of God is a place where things like masters serve servants. It's where the meek inherit the earth. That's the kingdom of God. It's where loving your enemies is actually the default position that a person who's a part of the kingdom of God takes. It's the default. And so many other things in the kingdom of God that John was declaring in the person of Jesus, watch this, emptiness gets filled impossibilities now are conquerable. Detours are eliminated and inconsistencies get transformed. So, what did Jesus mean then when he said in Mark chapter 1, the kingdom of God is at hand? What he was meaning, what Jesus was saying there is in him, in Jesus Christ, the, became the arrival of this inverted, upside-down way of life where emptiness does get filled, where impossibilities are conquerable, where detours are eliminated, where inconsistencies are transformed. He said, I'm bringing that to bear now in the world. That's what he's saying. It's a kingdom where stuff like Revelation chapter 21, you're not going to see these verses on the screen, and I know I think I've quoted these so far at, a couple times probably, uh, and you'll hear them a whole lot more because this is a rich, during passage. Uh, this, this is mine. <laughs> I love this passage. Revelation 21, 3 through 5, the kingdom is this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And then he says this, 
he will wipe every tear away from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And then he says this, Write this down, for these words, they're trustworthy, they're true, it's as good as done. I love that passage. And yet, we live in a world full of pain, don't we? We live in a world of suffering. We live in a world where mountains are not made low. We live in a world where those curves are not straight. And we understand what it means that there are no level bumps. We know that. That's our experience in this world. Uh, there's emptiness. There's inconsistency. There's poverty. There's pain. There's hate. There's racism. There's death. There's death. And while you and I might pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we know it does not seem to be taking place. When we look at the world that we live in, it doesn't feel like uh, God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven, which means this. Listen closely. I know I'm laying a bunch out on you here, but this is the introduction. There's only 45 minutes to go or something. No, I'm just kidding. Here's what this means. It means that as believers, as followers of Jesus, you and I, you and I are active participants in bringing to bear the reality of the kingdom of God in the world that we live in. That's our responsibility. And that happens mostly by how you and I choose to live our lives. We can say a whole lot of stuff. We can post a whole lot of stuff. We can do all kinds of different stuff. But how you live your life is the biggest message that the kingdom of God brings to bear in this world. How you and I live our lives. There's a guy named Donald Craybill. Uh, he wrote a book called The Upside Down Kingdom uh, back in the 80s, actually. But in it, he writes this, he paints this kind of picture. I want to read this for you. He says, Jesus does not portray the kingdom on the margin of society. He doesn't plead for withdrawal from the world. Kingdom action takes place in the world, in the middle of the societal ballpark. But it's a different game. Kingdom players follow different rules and heed a different coach. So let me summarize. This is kind of a working definition for the kingdom of God, but we're going to revisit this over the next few weeks. You'll see it on the screen. The kingdom of God is a people who have yielded their hearts and their relationships to the reign of God. It means that you and I, if we claim to be followers of Jesus as real-life community church, it means that we have given over our lives and our relationships to the rule and reign of God. He is master over my life. He is master over my relationships. And then we bear the reality of what that looks like in how we live our life out in the world we find ourselves in. Does that make sense? That's what that means. Now, here's the deal. If that is the culture that we need to see evidenced as real life community church, we have to understand a few things. Uh, it's really tempting to look at the church as failing to usher in the kingdom of God. I mean, have we looked at the way our world looks today? I mean, the church is failing 
The church is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. The church should be actively engaged in, in bringing mountains low and straightening out the curves in the world and, and addressing all these. The temptation is really to pin the blame on the church for its ineffectiveness. The church should be doing more, right? The church should be doing more. All the while when we're pointing that finger at the church, we're pointing the finger at ourselves because we are the church. <laughs> you are the church. I'm always amazed when somebody says, you know, Rich, the church should be doing this. You're the church. Why aren't you doing it? <laughs> we are the church. We're the ones. And if God will use us, use the church to usher in what is promised in the kingdom of God, it's going to happen because we have allowed it to happen. We, you, me, because we have allowed it to happen in us. That's what's going to make the difference. That is what's going to make the difference, is that it happens in us. Listen, <laughs> listen. The kingdom of God is not ushered into this world through legislation. It is not ushered into this world through a politician. It is not ushered into this world through whatever culture war you want to pick on any given day. And if you don't have one, just go to Facebook. Somebody will give you one. You can fight that war. That's not how the kingdom of God is ushered in. It's not ushered in with a political platform. It's not ushered in with some ism or some other thing or some other thing that we just plant our flag in all the time. It happens when, the, when what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans begins to be manifested in our lives. He said, we, we, no longer conform to the patterns of this kingdom. We no longer conform to the patterns of this world. Instead, we, we are transformed. We love to talk about how our world needs to be transformed. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's what Paul writes. Then we will know what God's will is, what his good, perfect, and pleasing will is. It happens when you are different. Listen, it happens when we're weird. I know I'm weird. I'm just asking other people to do it with me. Okay? We should be weird. We should be different. We should be not normal. Okay? Real lifers aren't normal. And that's okay. That is okay. That's what it's supposed to be. We need to be different, but that has implications, has significant implications. It means that in the end, the culture of real-life community church, the culture of this church, the future of who we are, it's not going to be built on slick marketing the future of who we are as real-life community church is not going to be built on canned strategies. It's not going to be built on making sure that we've gotten the most recent, uh, you know, curriculum that's just going to do everything for us. That's not what the world, the church is going to be. It's not going to be built. The future of this church will not be built on what some other church in the region is doing. That's not the future of this church. Or making sure that we reach the right people, which I haven't quite figured out what that means. Because we reach the right people? Now, does that mean that we don't do our best, that we don't bring quality, that we don't... That's not what that means, but what it does mean is it's acknowledging those things don't build the kingdom. They don't build the kingdom. Transformed hearts do. Allowing God to do in us what He needs to do is what changes things. The future of real-life community church, and this, I really hope that you like me, <laughs> The, 
The future of Real Life Community Church will be a group of people. A group of people embracing the fullness of being kingdom citizens under God's reign. People who have yielded their hearts and their relationships to the Lordship of Christ and are living out in the world we find ourselves in what that looks like. His kingdom needs to come and his will needs to be done in us, in us. There's a movie that came out a number of years ago. It's based on a book, based on the life of a guy named Louis Zamperini. Uh, It was called Unbroken. Some of you may have seen the movie or read the book. Louis Zamperini, he was an extraordinary guy. Uh, He was an Olympian. He also fought in World War II. He got shot down, uh, was lost at sea, uh, survived shark attacks, and then was captured by the Japanese and went to POW camps uh, with the Japanese. And if you've seen the movie, it's a hard movie to watch. Um, and if, you, if you've ever seen The Temptation, or not The Temptation, the, uh, um, the Passion of the Christ is a hard movie to watch because of the brutality of it. Uh, this, this is kind of right up there. It's pretty rough. Um, he suffered horribly in these POW camps. And uh, he got rescued. The, the war ended and uh, was able to go home. He had a rough few years. And then his wife one day convinced him to go to a religious service in downtown Los Angeles. And so he did. He went with her to appease her. He was angry. Uh, it just His life was miserable at that point. And uh, so he went, and of course, the pastor preached about sin and repentance. Yay. And uh, he got angry. And when the call to pray and accept Christ came, he got out as fast as he could, angry. I, he's like, I'm a good person. You want to know some bad people, I can introduce you to some bad people, but I'm not like them. So the next day, somehow Cynthia, his wife, convinced him to go back again. So he goes back a second night, and uh, same thing happened. Sin, repentance, he gets angry. He actually stands up to get ready to leave, and this is what his biographer wrote. She wrote this, Louis pushed past the congregants in his row, charging for the exit. His mind was tumbling. He felt enraged, violent, on the edge of explosion. He wanted to hit someone. As he reached the aisle, he stopped. Cynthia, the rows of bowed heads, the sawdust under his feet, the tent around him, all disappeared. A memory, long beaten back, the memory from which he had run the evening before was upon him. So the memory that he's talking about there was featured in the film of his life. It's a really short clip. I want to ask you to watch it. I swear I'll dedicate my whole life to you. I'll do whatever you want.
So his biographer continued, it was a promise thrown at heaven, a promise that he had not kept, a promise he'd allowed himself to forget until just this moment. If you will save me, I will serve you forever. And then, standing under a circus tent on a clear night in downtown Los Angeles, Louis felt rain falling. It was his last flashback that he would ever have. Louis let go of Cynthia and turned, and he felt supremely alive, and he started walking. I share that with you because what the film does not show you is that for four years after he came back from the war, he was a miserable man. He became an alcoholic. Uh, he was depressed. He was angry, full of rage, bitterness, as you can imagine, as you can imagine. But in this moment, when he gave his life to Christ, some things began to happen. Jesus started rearranging some stuff, messing with some stuff in his life. Uh, his anger and resentment and bitterness started to slowly be replaced with joy. It's kind of unexplainable, this joy. Uh, his rage became peace. In fact, the mountains in his life were brought so low and the curves in his life were made so straight that when given the opportunity to meet these Japanese generals and people who ran these POW camps in person, he met them in person, embraced them, and forgave them, and showed them love. That's not normal. You understand that, right? That is not the pattern of this world. That is not what our world demands. Our world demands rage for rage, anger for anger, fist for fist, action for action. That is the pattern of this world, but the pattern of those who are part of the kingdom God is upside down. Again, we can fight that, we can be upset about that and say that that's not fair. We have a Savior who suffered and died for us and took our sins on Him. Since He didn't earn, since He didn't deserve, and He did it for us. We're citizens of a different kingdom, a different kingdom. Does the pattern of our life, let me ask you, does the interactions on Facebook or any social media platform give evidence to the fact that we're part of a different kingdom? What are we doing? What are we doing? Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. Can I ask you, what are the barriers to the kingdom of coming more fully in your life? What mountains in your life need to be brought low? What valleys need to be filled in your life? Uh, how's your kingdom citizenship today? In the weeks ahead, we're going to be answering that question, you know, what does living as a member of the kingdom of God look like in very practical ways? And I can guarantee you, if you truly seek to embrace the kind of life that we're talking about, if, if we as a church truly, as, a, as a, are the desire of our heart that the, the predominant culture of this church is, is a reflection of those who are part of the kingdom of God. If we really desire that and seek after that, I can absolutely 100% guarantee you we are going to be presented with all kinds of opportunities to repent. 
to repent. And that's a good thing because that's the beginning of so many other things. All throughout the Gospels, you and I are given these glimpses, these pictures of the kingdom. But there's one place specifically where Jesus just kind of buckles down and he lays out the truth about the kingdom of God. It's the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be allowing that to inform our conversation over the next few weeks. Not every aspect of the Sermon on the Mount, but some very key points in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen, it does not take but a few verses in the Sermon on the Mount to begin to realize as Jesus stands up to preach and everybody goes, ooh, we're so excited. And then he says some stuff and it's kind of like, eh, I don't know we'd give him an A on that one because he starts messing with your stuff. Immediately he starts messing with your stuff. It's a different way of living where you lead with love. Okay? It, it's, it's a living where we, we replace force with suffering, pride with humility, hate with prayer. And in all of this, as, as we're going to see this, Jesus wholeheartedly threatens the status quo. Then he stands up and he looks at everybody and says, so pick up a cross and follow me. Pick up a cross and follow me. And here's the hitch. Every kingdom demands some kind of allegiance. Every kingdom demands some kind of allegiance. Where is your allegiance? If you truly want to be a part of the culture and the manifestation of what it means to be real life community church, kingdom living, kingdom living needs to be the norm, not the exception. About a week and a half ago, there was a report that came out. Gallup does all these polls and everything. You've probably heard of them, but um, for the very first time, for the very first time in our country, church attendance has gone below the 50% mark. Now, a million people want to give a million reasons why that's the case. And the numbers are really startling. You dig into the numbers and you realize what's going on. I know it feels like we've been on decades and decades and decades and decades of a slope. Actually, from about the 1940s all the way up to the year 2000, we floated around the 70% mark until the last 20 years, and it's gone below 50%. So you have to start asking why. And there's a million people that have a million reasons why, including me. <laughs> I just happen to be the one standing here, so I'm going to tell you what I think, which could or could not mean anything. Listen, um, I think maybe one of the reasons is not what we usually want to default to, and it's possible that we have represented a kingdom that is not of God, but of something else. As followers of Jesus, when we step out these doors, and even inside these doors, when we log on or pick up that phone, when we do any of these things, what we are doing is we are bringing to bear some truths in a watching world sees through all of our holes. The church in the world today has a horrible reputation. A lot of it earned. Now what we have to do is get serious about what does it mean to be citizens of a different kingdom. Because when a hungry and thirsty and dying world looks at us, 
Do they see somebody pouring salt in their wound? Or do they see somebody offering them an undeserved love and an undeserved grace that God gets a hold of and uses in their heart to transform them from the inside out and they begin to do things and be a part of something that they never dreamed in a million years? I've said this before. You think this was on my radar 30 years ago? Uh Uh-uh. Not a chance. But somebody showed me some grace and some love, even in my filth, even in my horrible lifestyle and choices. And all of a sudden, I became a new creation. The old was gone, the new has come. And I'm not saying like I'm all that in a bag of chips, but here I'm standing right here in front of you, a completely different human being. All because of what Jesus can do with some people who would just live it out. We spend a lot of time in the church hoping that the world will transform to better reflect the kingdom, when I'm pretty sure Jesus would show up and walk through these doors and say, do you, do we, do I, do I, Rich Doring, really reflect the kingdom of God? Um, Peace, humility, prayer, selflessness, sacrifice, self-denial, love, joy, Forgiveness, patience. The pattern of the world says those things are the exception, but not real life. Not for staff, not for leaders, not for worshipers, not for volunteers. Those things become the rule, not the exception, because we are no longer conformed to the pattern of this world. We're citizens of a different kingdom. So as we work our way, through the Sermon on the Mount in the weeks ahead, the ultimate question is going to be, will we, will you, will I allow Jesus to fill our emptiness? To conquer our impossibilities? To eliminate the detours that I like to take, that Rich Doring likes to take? Will we allow him to transform our inconsistencies? Will we let him do that? And as we do that, we're going to make the pattern for our lives, the pattern prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand. The words for it will be on the screen. I'm going to ask if you would to join me in praying this out loud. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we love you so much, and we're so grateful for the way that you love us. And as we look at this, Father, and as we realize uh, the implications, uh, first and foremost, I'm so grateful for the song that we sang today from the book of Numbers that benedictory type song. You're for us. You want us to get this. You want us to see so much so that you gave your son Christ for us so that we could see through your eyes, that we could feel with your heart. Father, what that requires is for us to remove ourselves from the throne of our life and allow you to take up residence and bring your kingdom to bear in us as we live out what it means to be real-life community church in this region and the world we find ourselves in. Father, we have this great hope. I'm so excited, Father, for the opportunity that we have 
to share the love of Jesus with the world. I pray that you'd help us as we seek to do it. Be with each of us. I know we walked in here with burdens today, but I pray that you'd be with every single one of us. Give us peace. And Father, help us to glorify you in everything we say, everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Listen, I feel like this was really heavy-handed, so make sure you like give somebody a thumbs up on their way out or something. <laughs> Slap somebody on the back, but thanks for being here today. Thanks.